Welcome to Cracks in the Cement, where we dig into colonizer culture, the ways in which it surrounds us, how it got here, and where we want to go from here. Hi, welcome to Cracks in the Cement. My name is Robin. I'm your host. There's a crow outside that's being really loud. Um, I don't know where you are in the world where I am. Um, it's definitely switching into a little bit of cooler weather. Fall is hitting us. And there are some uh, really active crows, um, which I decided to leave the door open because I like it. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, for this episode, I wanted to talk about sort of, I guess I would say an antidote to individualism or one of probably many antidotes to individualism and thinking about the magic of pairs, like being with one other person where you really just have that really generative creative energy that just comes forth. Um, so I've been noticing some of those patterns in my life and I wanted to share that with you all and to ask if, um, if you all have had the same, some similar experiences. Um, and then also I'm going to share some of your responses from episode three, where I'd asked what gifts or skills would you share with your community if you were not haunted by imposter syndrome or feeling constrained by white culture in the U S. Um, so I got a couple of responses on that and I wanted to share that with y'all. So for today, as far as thinking about the magic of pairing, I'd sort of been lately feeling really grateful for people in my life where it's one other person that we just really groove when we get together. And I feel like I really first noticed it with my friend Drea, my buddy Drea, where when we would get together or when we get together, we can just talk and talk and talk to where sometimes we'd even exhaust ourselves. But when we get together, it's just the creativity and the energy that we energize each other. And also in that we've both, I feel like as far as I understand her perspective, I know for me, for sure, it's also made us really expand and it feels like kind of skip forward almost as far as um, development and just kind of, I don't know, broadening our horizons and expansion, I guess is just really the word that comes to me. And then my, somebody I work with now, Omri, same thing when we get together, it's just time changes, energy builds, and just, it feels like when our minds come together, it's just such a great fit. So I was just really noticing that and thinking, you know, oh, wow, I'm so lucky. I know these people that I really groove with. And then I was reading this book, or I'm still reading it, this book called Sand Talk by Tyson Yucaporta. And so Sand Talk, S-A-N-D-T-A-L-K. And his last name is Yunkaporta, Y-U-N-K-A-P-O-R-T-A. So he's a researcher who belongs to the Appalach clan in Queensland, Australia. And so his book, he sort of bridges the, like his culture and his ancestry and his family and the Western world, because he's also part of academia. And he talked, he says, has this part in his book where I was like, holy shit, this is this pair grooving that I've noticed. 
So he says in his book, I'm just going to read this. He says, connectedness balances the excesses of individualism. And he says the first step in connectedness is forming pairs with multiple other agents who also pair with others. So it's not like, you know, if it's in our culture, most of us have been raised with this idea of like you find your life partner and they're kind of your everything. But what he's saying is you form these these generative energy producing pairs, but that pair you're paired with is also pairing with other pair other people to make more pairs. So, um, and then he says the next step is creating or expanding networks of these connections. The final step is making sure these networks are interacting with the networks of other agents, both within your system and in others. So it kind of becomes this net of pairs that are grooving and then sharing information and merging with other pairs separately. Um, and so he talks about how their whole pronoun, pronoun system is comes out of that. I mean, this is how I interpret his words anyway. So he talks about how in English there's I or me, and then there's we and us. But he says in Aboriginal languages there are many more, including pronouns that are translated as I, I myself, we too, we but not others, and we all together. And in the book, sometimes he uses a pronoun that he has translated into English as us too. So you're kind of entering that bubble, you know, with that one other person is what it feels like to me. So it just made me think, well, I really noticed it with my friend Drea. Um, and then subsequently a couple of other people, a few other people have come into my life where I noticed that same feeling. And then I realized we're that way when we're younger, you know, like when once you get past that kind of baby stage and you're interacting with other young ones, you just, you connect with other kids so quickly and so easily. You just can see one other kid. I'm alive. You're alive. You know, let's go play. It's so simple. And then when we get into mainstream schooling, suddenly you're an individual with your individual scores and grades. And, you know, it's just all on you. And then I was all even thinking, and then they oftentimes will purposefully connect you with a, like a random kid that you may have no connection with, may, or maybe they've bullied you. I mean, there's no, it could run the gamut, but they would, the teacher will actually go out of their way not to pair you with somebody you really groove with because it could be too out of control. You know, your energy could be too big for the classroom. So... I thought that was really interesting in thinking about that and just how kind of how the mainstream schooling does kind of hone us into this individual and that we have to prove ourselves as an individual, um, which really fits into one of the shares that I, I'm going to read to you in a second. Um, so I'm really trying to be aware of those sort of social anxieties, I guess, as an individual and the protection and the walls that I built up. And it also, you know, relates to being stuck in the head instead of like being in the heart or down in the body and really feeling other people's energy and being connected to other people's energy and honing and looking for those special pairings, you know, where there is that 
just flow and energy creation. Yeah, so I'm feeling excited and noticing that. And I've been, it kind of fits into, I've been reflecting on why in predominantly white kind of professional institutional settings, why meetings can feel disconnected to me or, and I I feel like there's something kind of related to that where Western thinking sort of treats us us as if we're all the same and it doesn't really matter who we're with or um, like there isn't really a holistic energetic acknowledgement of how we um, connect and work with others so I, I don't really I don't really understand it but I'm just at a stage of noticing and that's something I'd be really curious to hear from you all if you haven't already thought about it to start maybe to notice it you know, in the next, like in your life now and share your noticings or does that resonate with you? Like, have you had those, those pairings where it just really gels and, um, the energy really flows. I just think it's, it's really interesting and beautiful. And I think really powerful. And then thinking about how those partners, those pairs connect you, it comes to be where you can't even separate who's who, you know? So, Drea and I were this energetic flow pair, I'll call it flow pair, but Drea and her partner is part of that, like their growth and their expansion affects Drea, which affects me. These are, it's so beautiful. And then that growth or what I've learned from Drea, then I turn around and that affects my relationships with other flow pairs that I have in my life like for example my partner at home or some or Omri who I work with or other flow pair people in my life and so you can see how that network that Tyson Yonkopardis talks about like you can see how that happens and it just spreads and it's so beautiful and that in contrast to the sort of socialization of we're each an island of our own and and that relates to um one of the shares that somebody wrote into me that I want to read to you all right now that kind of it, it's juxtaposed it juxtaposes nicely against that feeling of connection versus that feeling of having to kind of prove your worth um, prove yourself as an individual um, so this person shares one thing I've been thinking a lot recently about how my worth feels so tied up in my sense of uniqueness I feel this crop up in my hobbies and personal habits, valuing things about myself more if they are somehow rare or quote unquote special, and devaluing things that seem commonplace. I see the same dynamics crop up incessantly in my work and organizational culture too. As a nonprofit service provider, our appeal relies on all the things that make us unique and different from others doing equally important work. In my personal and professional life, I'm constantly instinctively constructing hierarchies in my mind. Either I feel stuck in less imposter syndrome or build myself up as more than. It's so seldom that I settle comfortably into the middle. And when I'm stuck on either extreme end, there's a tightness in my solar plexus that literally makes it harder to draw deep breaths and be sensitive to the world around me. 
When I think about what it would look like to live without imposter syndrome, I dream about being able to trust that it's enough just to be a decent human alongside millions of other average decent humans. To be one of the masses embodying my values without ever believing that my work is less important or more important than anyone else's. So thank you so much for sharing that. That is beautiful. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Or it makes me think of Dre and I have talked a lot about in workshops or groups that we've facilitated that whole concept of inflation and deflation and how um, it's a rocky place to dwell in, um, feeling either really puffed up and having to fight for that sense of puffed up feeling or collapsing into feeling really small and that it's just this teeter-totter and how they can quickly flip from one to the other and how um, working to be more grounded and stepping off that teeter-totter, easier said than done, but noticing it and kind of practicing settling into that. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, the So the other, I had one other person share a similar, like as far as, what gift skills would they share with their community if not haunted by imposter syndrome or feeling constrained by white culture? So they write, I think the rank ordering of every event slash concept is really destructive. It goes hand in hand with a wrong slash right view of the world. And everything I do, I assume there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. I'm constantly looking for reassurance that quote unquote someone else is approving of or sanctioning what I do. This is in part a family of origin dynamic, but also a white supremacy dynamic. It goes to the whole quote unquote, who benefits question. There is value for the colonizer system to be held as the gold standard to introduce doubt and imply a need for compliance and conformity. I'll give you a silly example. I do a lot of gardening and as I sow and harvest, trim, cut back, I do not value listening to the plants or taking in their appearance or thriving as valid feedback. I assume I need to verify online that I'm doing the right thing because some quote unquote expert had less imposter syndrome and got on the airwaves to offer their opinion. Capitalism feeds on this whole notion of what's right and wrong and what gadgets, gizmos and products one might need to do everything right. Robin, I really enjoyed the way you talked about respecting and observing the trees. I've come to think of them as personalities as well. We watched a maple tree die after the heat wave last year, and I imagined a whole story of its sacrifice for the greater good. All the other shrubs and trees near its territory survived. One other disjointed thought, I always feel personally responsible slash devastated by garden quote unquote failures. What did I do wrong to bring on the beetle infestation the third year of beet failure? I've now tried each garden bed and they just don't thrive. Having a more holistic and synergistic approach might be just the thing. The solutions aren't always cerebral. Once again, thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, the colonizer system doesn't want us to trust ourselves, and and capitalism makes really feeds off that. Yes, beautiful. Thank you, thank you so much for sharing and. Yeah, and I'm, ex- I'm really excited for the next episode to think about that fear of color. And um, I want to share with you all this researcher from Nigeria who, before the colonizers came, 
they had no gender, no like genital, no association with names or relationships or relatives. Like there's no sex associated with children or um, anybody's names or jobs. And she also talks about how the sense of sight is such a Western thing and how her culture, it was more auditory focusing. Um, And then colorism, this fear of color and separating of, and how that connects to the separation of mind and body. Um, So anyway, we're going to dive into some, I think, other really interesting things. As always, please feel free to share with me your thoughts. And I really appreciate all of you for listening and take care. Thank you. Mm -hmm.